Thank you very much indeed for inviting me. It's a great pleasure to be here. And um, the picture of the lion then is because I feel like, uh, you know, uh, for those of you who know the Bible, Daniel in the lion's den. And uh, I'm, a little, I'm a little person and uh, there you are, the ravening wolves all around me. But it's a great pleasure to be here. And uh, I, I, please do feel free to actually get at me, as John says, uh, when I've said what I want to say. And I'll give you some, uh, some good sticks to beat me with. Um, as we go through the presentation. So I want to cover three things quite briefly. The first in is uh, the context of journalism PR now. Uh, I want to talk about some of the traditional rivalry between uh, us and us, um, and then set that again into in some of the, the key things that are happening today. And then I want to tell you a little bit about the latest of what's happening in public relations, so you get a sort of sense of, of what it's like to be a public relations practitioner today. So that's the agenda. Please do feel to stop, uh, free to stop me uh, as I go through this if anything's unclear, but otherwise I'll just crack on and then we've got a good hour to have a discussion afterwards. Okay, so let me start with uh, the classic, which you, you've seen. Um, but this is uh, Tony Haywood, if you don't know him, who is... Sunday, BP CEO. Former CEO of BP. So, sorry for the massive disruption it's caused to their lives. And, you know, we're... There's no one who wants this thing over more than I do. You know, I'd like my life back. So we'll stop life it there because uh, the point is made. <laughs> so, uh, good old Tony, uh, absolutely putting his foot in it there. Uh, but <clears throat> if we look at this from both sides, <clears throat> from a journalist's point of view, what a gift. What an idiot. He didn't even walk into that one. And he has a fantastic soundbite. But also, I asked myself the question, well, did it really serve the public interest to, uh, to focus on that? There was a guy who made a human mistake. And there were other things that were going on which were far more important than him saying something daft. So did it really serve the public interest to focus on that? And if you think about the implications of that from, from your point of view, uh, for him, it cost him his job. The BP, it is still under threat as, a, as an organisation that in the great scheme of things for an oil company is actually rather more of the, the more ethical and moral uh, oil companies around today. And also, um, the legal process has been completely fouled up in the USA, partly because of the focus on that. As we know, that is now a corrupt process in the US. In the US. So was justice and was public interest really well served by journalists focusing on that? From a public relations point of view, it was an absolute and total disaster. And, uh, you know, I'm sure his public relations director just wished that the earth had opened up and swallowed him at that stage. And there are two things that we can take from that, from a public relations point of view. He had no communicative intelligence. He had no idea what the impact of his words were going to have. And he had no contextual intelligence. He had no idea in the context of which he was speaking. <coughs> 11 people had lost their lives. Who gives a damn about whether or not he wants his life back so he can go sailing the following weekend? Okay, so from both points of view, there are questions. Uh, how well was he briefed? Did he understand what the communication implications of his words were? And from, from my challenge to you is, was the public interest really served well, taking up a lot of their time on something which was a perfectly human error? And one of the lessons that you're taught in crisis communications is sometimes humour deflates things. 
you can actually get things done properly and get to the truth quicker if you use something that will deflate and take some of the, the negative energy out of a situation. So um, that's an interesting challenge for us. Now, the context in which we all work, as we all know, um, uh, is increasingly complex for both public relations and for, uh, and, and for journalism. Klaus Schwab from the World Economic Forum says that there are five key drivers in the world today, and these drivers, I would suggest, are absolutely the heart of your world and absolutely the heart of my world as a PR uh, professional. The world is increasingly complex. World Economic Forum has identified over 80 issues which are massively pressing, from water shortage to uh, displacements of whole populations, um, 80 of them, many of them interconnected, okay? And uh, the connection uh, for us these days is about the social, the political, the technological, the political all getting merged together. You can't separate things out uh, anymore. Uh, these things are very, very uh, complicated, in intertwined. So if we take something like social media, it delivers, delivers uh, political agendas, it drives our social life, and, well, need I say more? So the traditional boundaries are absolutely evaporating. Compression, I need to uh, not talk to you about time compression. Uh, you know, there used to be 24 hours in a day. I think there are now 24 hours in one. And we're all working to increasingly manic deadlines. And one thing we might want to discuss is how we, as professionals, both public relations people and journalists, carve out slow time in the middle of this fast time so that we can reflect on things and do proper analysis and interpretation. <coughs> Codependent, so what happens in one part of the world has an impact on another part of the world as if it was just next door. And the context is shif shifting from uh, the locus of power is shifting from west to east and from north to south. And that's the context of all our lives. So these massive changes are being driven by globalization and technology profoundly affecting our world, and this is how. So this is your world, as we know. But there are more jobs for people who are prepared to work online, and in-house there are more journalists than there are uh, out-of-house in journalism. And uh, so brand journalism, working for organisations, developing their narrative, is a whole new career for journalists, and there are more and more of them. In contrast, this is my world. The public relations industry is booming, growing at about 12% a year globally. Okay. The industry is worth in the UK over £9 billion. And that's the sort of, uh, those are some of the stats that you might want to look at. Particularly one about journalists in, uh, in the USA, where the ratio to, uh, to journalists to public relations people is one to four, <coughs> journalists being one. Okay, uh, so uh, a very interesting world for us. Here's some the traditional view, if you like, of public relations and the media. I'm putting the Sunday Times up for John's benefit twice. Okay, so you recognise that. And this is what we say about you. But actually, the reality is that we have an awful lot in common. Okay, and so you can see the, the pairs there. We're all working to a 24-hour news agenda. And remember, if your deadline is one hour from mine, from now, my deadline is 45 minutes from now to meet your deadline. And I have to get all that information, synthesise it, interpret it, and give you a proper and true story so that you can then do with it as you will. 
So those are our pressures as well. You've got an owner agenda, we have got owner's agendas, whether they be CEOs or boards or shareholders. So I won't go through them all, just pick out one or two. You've got lack of space, we've got lack of voice in the media, but also within our organisations sometimes. You've got advertising pressures, we've got marketing. Go out there, sell it, sell it, tell it, tell it, persuade, persuade. Okay, that's the pressure on us. You've got a newsroom culture, we've got a corporate culture to deal with. And sometimes that's a very difficult culture to deal with. Okay, you've got legal and uh, ethical issues, we've got legal constraints sometimes on what we can say which are very, very tying for us and not so always able to tell the full story. You've got a public relations agenda to cope with, we've got a news agenda to cope with. So you can see that our worlds are not entirely dissimilar. We've also got some joint agendas, so you've got to hold to account to the public interest and you do that publicly. Our code of ethics says that we have to hold people account for the public interest. We do that privately. There are lots of public relations people lost their jobs because of rows they've had internally with senior people about whether or not they should say something to the media. And a lack of integrity within the organisation is a reality for us to deal with. It's in both our interests to have a free and informed press telling the truth in your interest, because that's your mission, if you like, is in my interest because actually if you hold me to account and challenge me you're more likely to get the truth and if you tell the truth about me and I'm happy with that truth you endorse what I'm saying so that gives me legitimacy okay so we have a shared code of ethics here I have the NUDA code of ethics it applies both to the PR division and to journalists and by the way that's my press card because I'm also a practicing journalist <laughs> okay so uh, I used to work for the BBC lots of uh, years ago but you know challenges to us both uh, increasingly I would challenge you that journalism is not about the public interest it's about what's of interest to the public and if Alistair Campbell is to be believed ten years ago there was uh, one positive story in the press to three negatives now it's one positive story to 18 negatives. So, um, you know, interesting point. And for us, the challenges, are you talking about the public interest or are you talking about the corporate interest? And in the middle of this, there is truth, which is contested. And truth, I find, is, is an interesting concept between us. And if I talk about, you know, CSR to you, I see some organisations were genuinely trying to come up with a new model of governance and you point a cynical finger. They say they would do that, wouldn't they? They're trying to escape their obligations by doing good works out there and the real business here. Uh, and I could give you another example, uh, which I've just forgotten, so I'll remind myself of, uh, which is about malicious complainants. We have to deal with malicious complainants in a particular way. They are meat and drink. So, reality. For you now, your reality, uh, I won't read it all, but you're not the sole gatekeeper of newsworthiness. There's all sorts of people coming into that space, including uh, those who are, are quite adept at manipulating it. And we see all sorts of uh, pressure groups who now are influencing the news agenda. And we also see this as an action for good in democratic movements, for example. User-generated content, too. Uh, we might sit, think, well, a great... Uh, British public or anybody else's public it isn't biased, but indeed they are. They have their own agendas as well. So at least with PR, you know where it's coming from, if it's corporate voice. Mainly, because we too use front groups, and that's an abomination in my eyes. 
you know, you tell the truth and you speak openly on behalf of a, an organisation. Okay, so um, we're talking here about really some of the issues around a healthy public space and a public debate. And I would invite you to think that maybe public relations can contribute to the enriching of that public space by adding a variety of voices. And remember I showed you what, what sorts of organisations that public relations people work for. So for every positive for an organisation, you're going to be able to find a counter voice in an NGO. Both public relations, but enriching the debate. So as our colleagues at the University of Westminster say, public relations industry could be part of the solution for you um, now that you have issues because of resources in generating content. And it's a large and diverse uh, industry that has uh, countervailing voices and opposing voices within it, which you could capitalise on. In fact, they go further and say that actually your job in the future will be refereeing the content generated by PR people. That's a scary thought. Okay, But why not? Why not? If it's there and it's contested, why not? So I'd suggest to you that co-creation of content is possible, but I'd also argue very strongly, and John's heard me say this before, there must be a respectful distance between public relations people and journalists. We do not have the same job to do. It's quite right that you hold a powerful organisation to account. You must challenge, and when it gets too cosy, that challenge goes away. And that is wrong, and that is bad for the public interest. So I'm not one who says, please take all this stuff unquestioningly at all. Absolutely not. Take the stuff, use your time challenging it. And... Uh, <laughs> As it says there, good PR people want an open press. So let me just give you a few facts and figures about the industry you're dealing with. Uh, this is where most people work in the UK. Actually, the public sector is shrinking. It was 34%, now down to 25%. Uh, equally, just about in the public sector, 24%. Those of which will work for consultancies, work for both private and public sector, 23%, NGOs, 13%, and freelancers. So that might be more balanced, actually, than you possibly thought. You might have thought they all work for big corporates. Well, they don't. Less than a quarter do. And that, that's UK? or That's UK. This is from the CIPR, Charter Institute of Public Relations, State of the Profession Survey, just been uh, completed for 2013. These are the most common tasks. You'll notice that media relations is still, and has constantly, over the last 20 years, been about three quarters of the effort of public relations people, feeding the media, in whatever way you want to uh, interpret the word feeding. And the least common tasks, surprisingly, you might think, uh, lobbying, 25% of time spent on that. This is the amount of time an individual will spend on particular tasks. Social media is the most substantial growth area, and this is an area for de uh, of, uh, of uh, a problem area for you because it's about disintermediation, direct contact. Um, so again, you know the marginalisation of the press we see in some of the contact between uh, large organisations and their their audiences. The average salary is large, okay, but a massive in gender balance. So the guys get all money. Um, In-house budgets can be very small, sorry, that should be £10,000, to £49 million, and that's in the UK. And that, that will be a big corporate organisation who also has marketing under its remit. So that's not just uh, millions and millions of people. 
trends in the industry then. Uh, the, I've taken this from a selection of sources, but you can see what the key trends are there. Uh, mobile to uh, content is taking more and more direct form, so again, this possibly marginalises uh, the, the press. Strategic data mining. You do it, we do it. And that's about uh, very specific targeting towards particular audiences. Uh, brands are defined increasingly from the inside out, so your people are your brand. So less money spent on advertising and live what your brand is. A move to local strategies, so that's very localised targeting of content. Um, again, a challenge for you. What's happening with the local press in my part of the world is it's just been devastated. Um, okay, authenticity and trust. So if your people are your brand and if you are being held accountable by spotty youths in their bedroom, as the CEO uh, has quoted as saying, um, somewhere in Brazil, and uh, there's, uh, there's no escape from this, then a sort of re-engineering of how the organisational character is defined is uh, really rising up the agenda, and I'll come back to that in a, in a minute or two. Storytelling, really important. So what's the corporate narrative? This is where a lot of journalists are finding jobs now, helping define the corporate narrative. Visual communication and uh, CC suite coordination. So getting the senior managers of an organisation to understand what communication is about so we don't have the Tony Haywood situation and so you don't get competing narratives from different people. And an increasing role for a communications director, everybody agrees, is important. So I just want to go on to the new reality then for public relations people. I'm going to go through this really quickly. So uh, again, plenty of time for discussion. The old reality was that in, in communications, public relations, we worked really in a value chain. We were, there was a source, there was an input, there was a gatekeeper in the middle, normally us, and there was an output. It's no longer true. It's a network world where everybody in the organisation is able to tell your story and where the next network externally is becoming more diffused and more and more extended. A new way of working because of the issues I was talking about uh, that Klaus Schwab has uh, so brilliantly encapsulated, in a global world that is digitally enabled, you have stakeholders who are massively empowered. And that means that we can't be gatekeepers anymore, and it means that the spotlight really is on organisations. So I mentioned the sort of latest trend being authenticity and trust. So what the dawning realisation is, and a lot of senior executives, is that there has to be a new way of operating, and that communications is at its heart, and management is increasingly recognising that communication is constitutive of the organisation. It's not just enabling, it is the organisation. And unless it's an authentic heart, we've got real problems. And this really is generating thinking about a model of governance, where organisations realise that they have overt accountability, they have to obey the law and regulations, but also covert accountability, which is about their obligations as stakeholders define them, which go beyond legal compliance, are becoming more and more important and more pressing, more difficult to define, more difficult to fulfil. And uh, how organisations enact their behaviours in their values is becoming increasingly important. And just yesterday, I was at a mega organisation just up the road from here, 
talking to the CEO and all their senior managers and the one thing that they've done in this last two years more than anything else is to talk about values and behaviour. And that is an impelling imperative within the organisations that unless we can coalesce around something that's meaningful and that we can live by, then we may as well go home. So, um, this is reinforced by, uh, from the corporate world, integrated reporting is a new form of reporting, corporate reporting that was launched in December last year. And the figures from corporate reporting um, on how value is judged in a company is really interesting. In 2005, physical and financial assets, blue, were worth 83% of the value of a company. Now, 81% of the value of a company is intangible assets. And if you take just one figure away from you from today, I'd take this away. Because this is about reputation and relationships and brand. And physical and financial assets are now worth only 19%. And this is why the whole communications agenda has become so important. The dawning realisation that this is what the actual uh, licence to operate is all about. And if you look at a traditional boardroom, what you have around the table is mainly guys who look after this. And very few people who look after that. Okay, so that's what's driving change. So in response to this then, you might find it surprising that the public relations industry, if you like, because they are the people who have to make organisational sense, tell the organisational narrative, has been driving uh, some thinking in this. And uh, the Global Alliance, of which I'm privileged to be chair, which is a confederation of all these professional bodies in public relations around the world, um, um, has come up with some thinking on this, which I'll share with you to finish with. Every two years, there's a World Public Relations Forum held at all, all, in all sorts of different places. And the last one was in Melbourne at the end of 2012. And there was a statement at that called the Melbourne uh, Mandate. Um, and I'm just going to take you very quickly through the process at which we arrived at this to demonstrate the sort of transparencies that we're trying to build into our processes before I describe to you very briefly the mandate. <coughs> so process values in generating this mandate, which was, if you like, a new license for the public relations profession globally. Um, some key process values, which are around transparency. Everything on Global <coughs> Alliance's work on Melbourne Mandate is on its website. It's still there. You can go and look at it. All the thinking, all the discussions, <coughs> all the disagreements, it's all there. Uh, leadership was by academics and by practitioners. Academics to try and put some rigour into it, some independence, and practitioners to get the, uh, the knowledge. Grassroots participation, it was open to everybody and there were a lot of people who were ordinary Joes and Joesses in the public relations world involved in this as well as leaders. Openness to everybody, including journalists if they wanted to uh, pitch in on the debate and chief executives. And there were three key working groups and they were absolutely empowered to make decisions in the areas that they were given to look at or that emerged from the process uh, to look at uh, and that became the Melbourne Mandate. So very quickly, first phase was brainstorming in the board. The second phase was a survey of leaders of the public relations profession around the world. The third phase was an abstract for public co comment, which went up on the website, open for everybody to see, uh, including people like yourself, and to comment on. The fourth phrase, uh, phase was some 
working groups, three working groups who developed a, a draft mandate, which was then posted up for comment. And then finally, in Melbourne itself, there were 800 people who debated this to, to try and get some traction on whether or not this was representative of the aspirations of the industry to date. And in total, there were about 1,600 to 1,800 people participated in the, in the uh, creation of the Melbourne mandate. So what it says is that there are three key areas, key, three contributions that public relations can make to modern organisations which we think are critical. First is in helping to define organisational character. The third is about building a listening culture within organisations. And the, th and the, uh, sorry, and the third is uh, around building a culture of responsibility. You can have all this, so you can <clears throat> take it away in thinking about it. But basically, on the character bit, which was probably the one that uh, most work was done, was that once an organisation has decided what its mission is and its purpose, and that purpose can't just be about uh, you know, a selfish purpose, it has to be about what its role in society is, and its contribution because of all these accountabilities that I've been talking about, then public relations has a role in helping develop values and checking whether or not they have legitimacy inside and outside the organisation. It has a role in, in leadership of the organisation, trying to define what the mission is, and, uh, and uh, embedding within senior management the sort of uh, characteristics that are requir required of people who understand their, their accountabilities in the new world. And it's about creating a culture within the organisation which is founded on communication and responsibility. So the thinking here is that uh, public relations is often called the dark side or the shadow. Uh, but to quote from Lincoln, character is like a tree and reputation, my business, is like a shadow. The shadow is what we think of it, the tree is the real thing. And the thinking is if the tree is rotten, then the reputation will be found out. So unless you work on actually the character itself as public relations professionals, whatever you do in the reputation stakes will come to nothing unless uh, the base work is, is sound. So the second area then is about building a culture of listening and engagement. So this is about how to understand what's going on outside, to understand what the trends are, to understand what your stakeholders are requiring of you, and to listen inside the organisation as well. And uh, you know the, the, the notion of two ears and one mouth, and this is not about imposing your will on anymore, uh, your will on the world anymore, but in the new world this is about understanding what your accountabilities and responsibilities are. And finally, it's about instilling responsible behaviours within the organisation and understanding what its obligations are at all these levels. To society, uh, at an organisational level, and that means um, thinking through the nature of decision-making in the organisation and whether it's values-based and whether it's ethical. And for a practitioner, it's about professional ethics and personal example. I'm going to finish off now. Implications for the PR profession of uh, what's happening at the moment in the world, uh, all those things. And I give myself the challenge. That's a big aspiration. Is it an impossible dream? Well, you know, if you don't dream big and if you don't try and change things, well, uh, you may as well not start down the road. Implications for journalism, I think, of the new world is you must hold to account, you know. Don't accept all the stuff. 
I'm not saying entirely you reject what PR has to offer because of all the things I've said previously, but it must be in a questioning way. Question your role as a news and information gatherer and see if there are others who maybe can do that for you so that you can spend your time on embracing your role as a sense maker and editor and add value through analysis and comment. And respect those professionals who are actually working to help your profession as well as working to help their organisation. A time reminder for us both, actually, in our side of the kind of job, as Abraham Lincoln says, public sentiment is everything. Without it, nothing can fail. Sorry, with it, nothing can fail. And without it, nothing can succeed. And that applies as much to public relations as it does to journalism. That's the end of the lesson. Thank you very much. <laughs>